Monday, September 26th, just baseball show Jack McMullen, Arm Layton. We got to talk about Albert hitting 700, 699 and 700 on Friday night. All hail Lord Greg Amsinger, who called it in <laughs> April. That was the craziest thing ever. We're also going to talk about Spencer Strider, what that injury may mean uh, for the Atlanta Braves postseason chances. We're going to talk the Cleveland Guardians uh, taking control of the AL Central to the point where they locked it up. And of course, the White Sox are irrelevant again. There we go. Some more stuff to hit on. First and foremost, Tua Tungabailoa <laughs> is a king. The Dolphins, it's it's Mike McDaniel, man. I don't know. I, I, I guess this is what it feels like to have a good football team. I I wouldn't know. You know, I've been pretty. I wouldn't. I, dude, I haven't really known. The, the only football team I ever got excited about was the uh, Chad Pennington-led Dolphins in the early 2000s, you know, yeah. closer to 2010. So, I mean, that's the only team that was really good. They won the division. It's pretty wild. It's pretty well, wild to see. You're in your mid to late 50s. Don't you remember the Dan Marino years? <laughs> yeah, right, dude. Well, that team never won anything either. It was Dan Marino fighting for his life. So, you know, that, that's been pretty cool. And then it's funny because you have the the Dolphins performing the way they are. And then, you know, the ugly step sibling right now in the Miami Marlins are going to be looking for a new manager next year as well. So that's definitely something uh, we'll probably need to talk about. And then one other headline I wanted to throw into the mix here is Clayton Kershaw leaning towards returning in 2023, according to a report, uh, which we can when we get to that, we can credit the report and the quote there and everything. But I would have bet on that not being the case. So that is great to see. I would have figured maybe back issues take a toll. He gets you know, just kind of sick of it. But leaning towards coming back next year, just continuing to build up that Hall of Fame resume. I love it. Let's start with Kershaw, okay. actually. And uh, it, we can jump into Mattingly then. And then we can move to Albert Pujols here. But I want to start with Kershaw because this scenario – you know, to the naked eye could look like, because the headline, right? You open up, you open up MLB trade rumors. It's Clayton Kershaw reportedly leaning towards playing in 2023. You think, okay, here we are with the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers BS. You know, we're going to be doing this every year. False. Brady and Rodgers are egomaniacs that do this to keep their name at the top of ESPN.com. Clayton Kershaw is doing this because he is being run ragged by injuries and nagging issues when he's on the mound. He's still really good, but I wouldn't blame him for retiring with the the amount of time he spends on the IL. This is a totally different beast than that. Kershaw is far more respectable than Brady and Rogers, and you shouldn't view it like this. We're just firing shots at the QBs today, huh? I mean, are you going to tell me that Clayton Kershaw isn't as respectable as Brady and Rogers? I mean, I don't have a problem with Brady. I, I did think the the whole retirement and then unretirement thing was pretty bizarre. Um, I do think he's got a little bit of that in him. But no, I mean, Kershaw's a different beast. I, I remember listening to an interview or reading, I think I've read it actually, read, read an interview with his mother 
who said that at, right after he signed that at the time record setting, you know, 200, whatever million dollar deal with the Dodgers, he called his mom and didn't even really mention it over the phone call when they were catching up. It was almost like, a, oh yeah, by the way, extended with the Dodgers. And she didn't really get the details of it until uh, they were public. Uh, he's just kind of that guy. He's always been that guy. He's been more low key. Th- that's why I love Clayton Kershaw. And I agree. I think the non-committal aspect of it really is because he doesn't want to for sure say he's coming back. If his back flares up more in the postseason, or if in the off season, you know, he doesn't have that, burning excitement to get back to spring training you always hear guys say that right like if i'm not having that that pull back then i know you know i don't need to play this game anymore and it seems like kershaw still has that pull for now and and that makes me very happy and and he's been honest about those thoughts kind of creeping into the back of his mind right maybe it's time to hang it up here and clayton kershaw can do a lot of other stuff i (laughs) i think that basically andrew luck almost Yes, exactly. Um, And Kershaw, he, his wife and his kids, you know, very active in the Southern California community. He and his wife, massive in Southern California charities. Kershaw is going to be busy, even if he retires. He's funny as hell. If you haven't listened, I podcast recommending another podcast here. Smartless, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and um, oh, Sean Hayes. They bring a guest on and they don't tell the other two who the guest is until they get in the Zoom. And Clayton Kershaw was on it. Jason Bateman brought Kershaw. And Kershaw was eloquent. He was talking about all of his interests outside of baseball. I mean, he was teaching Sean Hayes about baseball and Will Arnett about baseball, which was great. This guy's going to be set for life. He's going to do something else. He could get that Brady Fox deal, albeit not as much money, if he decided to hang it up. It's good from the baseball fan perspective. Because when Clayton Kershaw is still on the hill, he's still Clayton freaking yeah. Kershaw, dude. He's nasty. Which is awesome. I mean, you look at the numbers this year, a 2-4-2 ERA in 115 and a thirds innings, 2-5-5 FIP, a .95 whip. So I mean, even if you look at it next year, maybe it's not the Adam Wainwright just continue to eat innings type of approach. But if he shoots for 130 innings next year, they really manage his, his workload. He skips some st- spots in the rotation. If there's one team that can really – you know, deal with that and be fine with that approach. It's the Dodgers. And I think that's a hundred percent what they would do. If he returns looking at milestones, he would reach the 200 win plateau uh, most likely, which if we talk about 300 game winners, we might not see very many 200 game winners really as we move forward. So that's pretty cool. Probably yeah. just shy of 3000 strikeouts, given that he's at 2,794. We assume he's not going to play two more years, but still pushing close to that plateau, that mark there, uh, and should push close to 2,700 innings. I mean, that's a really impressive career. If Clayton Kershaw throws for the whole year next year, do you not think that he can get to 200 strikeouts? He could. He could. But, you know, you look at what he has done year over year. He has not had more than 200 and. You know, what would he need? He would need 200 on the dot. He has not had more than 202 strikeouts since 2015. Okay. So, you know, he did have 202 strikeouts in 2017, which would put him right in that ballpark. But, you know, I, I just I have a concern that that might not happen and they might not want to run him that hard. But you know what? If we get another year, Clayton Kershaw, that's freaking awesome. Uh, continues to just solidify himself in the record books. A 2.49 ERA in his career. This season, technically speaking, brought that down. The fact that his numbers are still staying solid as he's in the tail end of his career is just a testament to how good he is because he's been able to adjust, reinvent to a degree, 
that curveball has never gone anywhere, but he's adjusted the way he attacks hitters as he's aged. That's what some of the goats do. And he's one of the goats. First ballot hall of famer. Yep. No brainer. Unanimous. Probably not. Probably not because you're going to have a couple assholes who hold the playoff thing over his head, which three guys didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. That's the kind of voting group. One guy didn't vote for Jeter just cause man, like, you know, when you have that kind of approach to things, it's not 98% of the writers, or I would say 90% of the writers seem to approach it the right way. But now that we've seen that micromanaging of the ballots and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but you know, this was the first time with the PEDs, with Bonds, where we, and all these other guys that it was kind of their last chance that we saw every ballot being analyzed and where they were coming from. Generally, we just look at the end product and the percentages. When we were seeing all of the different ballots going out, and, and I'll be honest, like just seeing who some of these people are that are still casting votes that haven't really covered the game that much in years, who don't really work closely to the game, they're, they're you know, half-assed explanations as to why they had inconsistent votes of, not Bonds, but Sosa or Maguire and not Bonds or whatever it was. Like, that's when I realized I just have no faith in the voting being 100% the way it's supposed to be. So I am sure a handful of assholes will not vote for Clayton Kershaw for whatever reason. And it's just the nature of the beast. Just get in. That's all that matters. And I'm sure there's going to be one or two guys that don't vote for Albert as well. I have no idea why, but it's probably going to be the greatest thing they, they, too. He's older than he was. He like lied about his age. Let's say I'm not voting for him. Like there's always going to be some, some freaking reason you take a poll, or like just a group of X amount of people. You're going to have a couple people that just think way out there and have some weird justification for doing something against the grain. That's just the way it is when you pull that many people. Something not rooted in opinion is 700 homers. No. And that's what Albert has. Nobody can argue with 700 homers. 699 came in the first couple of innings against the Dodgers in LA. And he sat on 699 for one plate appearance. That's balls. That's crazy, dude. I think that more than anything was him emptying the tank. He wanted so badly. I think once he got that taste after the all-star break and had that five, 10 game stretch where he was OPSing 1600. I think he saw that and revved it up and said, you know what? Let's empty this tank of all I have baseball wise. And that was him emptying the tank. Oh, absolutely. And what's amazing. You talk about just the, the balls you're, you're watching Aaron judge. Who's you know, just been so incredible this season. I, I can sense almost, it seems like the it's getting to him a little bit, right? Where he's still having great games, but you have the crowd just all circling around and it's it's an event. It's all everybody's talking about. The phones are out. The flashes are out. The, the ovation. There's so many things going on. Nobody wants to pitch to you as well. And you know I, I can imagine the judge is probably pressing to a degree and, and it's hard, but you'll get Pujols. I figure he probably just wanted to turn the page on this already, right? The Cardinals... How much do you think he would like to win a World Series in his last season here with yeah. his teammates that it might be their last season? We know it's Yachty's, might be Wayno's. I, I could imagine the World Series would be just as sweet on his way out here as much as the 700 is an incredible accomplishment. He gets a 700 now, turn the page. That's not the conversation now with the Cardinals. It's, you know, how far can this team go? We know that they could have done it last year if it weren't for that one game wild card. Who knows how, how deep the Cardinals go? This team's even better. Uh, but the fact that Pujols has done this so quickly, like there wasn't even suspense. You talk no. about it. He got to 699, then 700. I thought, you know, I was talking about it selfishly. I'm going to the game in a week. 
going to his last home game. I'm like, I hope that he's even within two of when I get there so that I can just have that pipe dream of him reaching 700 while I'm in attendance. He's not. The focus is going to be thank you and enjoy your last game here in St. Louis, which will be special enough as is. But hell, man, I was hoping he'd be in striking distance. He blew past it and now has a week to spare. I'll see you in a week, Albert. You might have 703 by then. Dude, I what I like about that is, you know, with the Yankees, the, it's not about gearing up for the postseason right now, right? It's about Judge. It's about 61 and 62. Judge does not want it to be like that. No, That's no very, very clear that Judge does not want that. But with the Cardinals, this has to be freeing because yeah. the team as a whole, Brendan Donovan's not pressing anymore for Albert Pujols because unfortunately for Brendan Donovan, Brendan Donovan cannot hit Albert's 700th home run for him. So now the focus is off of Albert, right? And when he's out of the lineup, you know, it's not this lost day where ratings dive for the Cardinals and, oh, we're just waiting for the next milestone here. Now it's, holy shit, the Cardinals might actually be able to win the World Series here. Well, and you've got a piece here in Albert Pujols, who we're talking about the best hitter probably besides maybe his teammate Paul Goldschmidt. What Pools has done to lefties this year is is comical. What he's done, period. I mean, we're we're just focusing on the seven hundred chase. But how about the fact that they've got a guy on their bench right now who's hitting two sixty five, three thirty seven, five twenty six with twenty one bombs and three hundred and thirty two plate appearances. I mean, the home runs per at bats or per plate appearance is absurd. That's a guy on your bench. This team is that good uh, that the guy that just made history that's having an incredible season is not even like a focal point of your team. It's incredible what they've got over there. And I'm interested to see how Albert fits in now, you know, going forward and into the postseason, how yeah. they're going to use him and, you know, how they're going to use that deep bench. There might not be a team as deep offensively as as the Cardinals are. Yeah. So, so deep. Yes. Top end talent. Yes. Where's the 50th percentile talent. Do you think, where do you think the average talent level within that Cardinals lineup stacks up? Because of course you have, the Goldschmidt and the Arenado, who sneaky has another 30 homer, 100 RBI year. Nolan Arenado might be a Hall of Famer, folks. He is. He is. It's crazy. And you've got those guys. You've got top end talent. How good do you feel about Donovan? How good do you feel about Alec Burleson, who really struggled out, out of the gates? How good do you feel about, you know, some of these other depth pieces? What's going on up the middle? Edmonds, great, obviously, but how about DeYoung, right? It's it's a good question. I just think the core, the core of guys, good guys it's just so good that it's going to carry them. And and I, I think it's more the Lars Newbars of the world that I really do believe in. Brendan Donovan, I really do believe in. I, I think he's a great piece for them. Dickerson in spots for them has been really good. I, I, I do trust all of their role players and the way that they've been able to deploy them. And I really do trust Ali Marmol to be able to kind of mix and match. He's been doing it all freaking year for them, which has been unbelievable. And Jordan Montgomery just keeps shoving. So yeah. now I'm really excited about this team. And by the way, Yadier Molina, like he looked lost. He looked like it was pretty much done for him. I'm not singing the praises like he's some incredible hitter, but at this point of his career, but he has been carrying his weight a bit more as of late. Uh, th- this team is just pretty balanced. Juan Yepes is another guy just homered the other day is again against the, the Dodgers in that same game. Yepes has been banged up all year. That's someone off the bench that I could see being that performer in the postseason that nobody really thought about. Uh, I-, I think this team has enough ways to be able to uh, mix and match with their lineups that they're going to be a problem. 
I'm with you, man. Uh, also slept on during that Albert 700, 699, 700 game on Friday. Jose Quintana, six and two thirds shutout innings, six punch outs, no walks. Is this going to happen? Like, are they going to keep doing that? This rotation might be better than we give them credit. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, at what point do we just swallow our, our, like, swallow our fucking pride and ignore the names? Ignore the names. If we did a blind, like, a blind test with the numbers, I think we'd be like, oh, wow, that rotation is great. But Top five rotation in baseball. Jordan Montgomery. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, that's one of the better rotations. Blind test right there would be like, that's really good. If you had all of their stat lines and their overall team stat lines. But for whatever reason, we forget who Miles Michaelis is every single week. Yeah, uh, Adam Wainwright, we love. But at the same time, we don't give him like frontline credit because he's 42. Although I think we we're, we're, that's the one guy we're more likely to give, you know, sing the praises for. Jose Quintana, we've talked about, but. At the same time, I feel like none of us actually take him seriously. And then Jordan Montgomery, like he's been unbelievable. He's been pitching like a number two. There's no way any of us in our minds are considering him that way. So I think we're definitely a little bit biased because of the names. But you look at the fucking stats, and it's pretty hard. To, <laughs> it's pretty hard to dispute at this point. Speak for yourself, man. I give Jose Quintana all the credit in the world. Uh huh. Yeah. The the postseason four. Wainwright, Michaelis, Montgomery, Quintana. That is the least sexy postseason four ever, but it just In might head, do yes. it. <laughs> How about the postseason four statistically? You'd be like, oh, that looks great. <laughs> that looks awesome. Like, oh, it looks really good. God, no we got to get back aside. into the resumes. I'm a sucker for the blind resumes. Blind like, resume this is season. team A. This is team B. We got to do more of that. You'd say that rotation was great. Then I'd just show you the names and you'd be like, ugh. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's Gross. incredible what they're doing. Uh, that's Gosh. that's some mastermind shit. The Cardinals are, are doing it analytically, too. Yep. Now, Atlanta, their postseason four is who? Spencer oh. Strider just hit the 15-day IL with, the, with an oblique issue. Soft tissue is scary. Hopefully, Strider comes back. Who knows if he can go seven in the postseason? He just hit the IL. He's coming off for the postseason. So, as it stands right now, if you have to move on with Strider as a swingman or even without Spencer Strider. And by the way, a comp between Spencer Strider and Old Hoss Radborn. This is from <laughs> the Braves earlier today. Charlie Morton just got to 200 punch outs. Charlie Morton and Spencer Strider are the first Braves teammates to both reach 200 Ks in a season since 1886 when Old Hoss Radborn and Bill Stemmier both reached the mark. So. Which they probably did it in like 800 innings. I'll tell you old Hoss Radborn's numbers right now. Old Hoss Radborn. I said 1886. Is that right? Yeah. 1886. Old Hoss is a 31-year-old. Had a three ERA in 58 starts. 57, 57 complete games. 509 innings. 218 punch outs. So that is a whopping 3.9 strikeouts per nine. That's insane. I love baseball. 3.9. Well, can we talk about Charlie Morton? You, you, you ignore 2020 because this is, this is going to be kind of the answer to your question here a little bit too. Ignore 2020, the shortened season here. He has now hit 200 strikeouts in four consecutive seasons. And that's from age 35 onward. I mean, Charlie Morton's second half revival of his career, similar to Verlander, you got to give the Astros credit where credit's due. 
of course, credit to the players, but the Astros have unlocked. It's very clear that they've unlocked things with, with those guys and cleaning up their mechanics and their arsenal and you know, just kind of reinvigorating them. Morton, it's been a little bit more up and down, started slow with the broken leg. But, I mean, he's going to finish this year with a low four ZRA, uh, a FIP that's right in the same department, and a lot of strikeouts. And guess what? We know this is one of the best game seven pitchers of all time, a great yeah. postseason starter. To answer your question, assuming, and I think Strider's going to be okay. I do, and I'm almost glad it's not an arm issue. Obliques linger. It's a concern. We've seen Scherzer kind of on and off with that all year. Strider's very young. You assume he can maybe get back from that quicker. But yeah. in the worst case scenario assumption, Charlie Morton, I still trust in the postseason. Yeah. I'm not saying trust to do Spencer Strider stuff, no. but I trust him to give me five quality innings, six quality innings with a good amount of strikeouts and, and help keep us afloat if he's the game three, game four pitcher. I really do trust him as much as I would trust a Kyle Wright, maybe more. I'm with you. Kyle Wright, by the way, 20 game winner. And, and he yeah. said, I view that as a team stat, um, which I love. You know, he, yeah. he said, it's still a big deal to me being a 20 game winner. And we talk about that all the time, right? The, the win is pretty much done. But if you win a lot of games, that says something about you, especially as a starting pitcher. That says that you go deep enough into games, giving your team a chance. Julio Arias last year was one of the best pitchers in baseball. He was a 20-game winner. Kyle Wright is a 20-game winner this year, and the same can be said about him. He has been one of the more effective pitchers in baseball this year. So Kyle Wright certainly in the postseason rotation. Real quick on Morton, just numerically placing that career renaissance, what you're talking about here. Charlie Morton did not have a season where he had 10 or more strikeouts per nine until he was 33 years old. Now, each of his last five full seasons, he's been at 10 Ks per nine or higher. Different Amazing. Charlie Morton as soon as he turned 33. The Astros know what they're doing on the pitching. I mean, they know what they're doing everywhere. And that's why like everyone can talk about the cheating and sure. But like this, that, this is one of the best franchises in baseball. Not <laughs> only do they develop prospects, they get the most out of their vets. Like it's, it's incredible. One last thing on Kyle Wright. This is why he's a 20 game winner. And this is how guys can be 20 game winners who are more like number three type of starters. He has surrendered three runs or less this season in 24 of his 29 starts. That's amazing. You do that for one of baseball's best offenses. You're going to win a lot of games. That's all that Kyle Wright has needed to do. And that's why this Braves team is so good is because Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, and then even Charlie Morton for at least half of this season has they've all given them a chance to win a ball game every single time because they're going to keep their team at least within a striking distance. And we know how good this offense and bullpen is. Yes. They need Strider because he's been one of the best pitchers in all of baseball this season, especially in the second half. But let's say, you know, he's more likely to return in the second round. This rotation can get by in the first round, no doubt about it. So that rotation in the first round without Strider Probably stacks up like this. Game one, Max Fried. Game two, Kyle Wright. Game three, Charlie Morton. Game four, where do you go? Answer is probably Jake Odorizzi as it stands right now. And look, Odorizzi's been there. You know, he's had some decent postseason outings. I, there's there's worse scenarios for game four, I think. I think, And you could go Freed on short rest if you wanted to. If you felt confident that Strider will be back and he could take the ball game one of the next series, presumably, and shuffle things around. Uh, but worst case scenario, if you're going to Odorizzi, 
not the end of the world. He has not been good lately for what that's worth, though. 15 earned runs in his last 18 innings. So, I mean, if he doesn't write that ship down the stretch here, you're probably more likely to go bullpen game even. Colin McHugh, stretch him out maybe for a couple innings and go bullpen game. That might not be the worst scenario. I think you have to let the first three games kind of – or the first – yeah, the first three games kind of let the the vibe dictate there on how much bullpen usage there is. A couple of other options here. Bryce Elder is on the active roster right now. He is a guy that could probably throw some of those middle innings in a bullpen mm-hmm. game. But the option that's not on the roster as it stands right now is Kyle Muller. <laughs> you know it's crazy? Yes. We're not even talking about the guy that's been one of their best postseason starters the last two years. Ian Anderson hasn't started since September 8th. I'm not yeah. sure if that's uh, an injury right now. Do you know? No, no idea. Isn't that wild? I have no idea. But what, what's what's crazy is that's how good this Braves team is. Yeah. And then we're talking about their clutch, their most clutch pitcher, arguably, over the last two years. And hey, he's he's not even in the conversation right now, even if he was healthy. I don't know if he's in the conversation right now. Which no, I, is I think we're, I think we're talking about Muller over Ian Anderson if both are healthy here. Yeah. What do you think about the Kyle Muller option? I mean, dude, he looks really good. He looks really good. I, I don't hate it. Short leash. Like if you're going to go bullpen game and you can instead maybe go to Muller for hope to get three or four out of him. But we've seen teams do that plenty in the playoffs lately. And um, I don't hate it at all, especially if it's a team, if depending on who you match up with, that doesn't hit lefties well. I think that could easily be an option for them. That's the best, like, seventh starter in the game, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kyle Muller would be in so many rotations and be in a the lot. middle of so many a rotations. Lot. And a here lot. he is as the sixth or seventh guy for Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, with Bryce Elder being six or seven as well. And we're talking about Ian Anderson as the eight for the Atlanta Braves here. Yeah. Let's talk about Don Matting. Yeah. A fellow team in the NL East. Don Mattingly will not be returning as the manager of the Miami Marlins next year. Yeah. It felt like a mutual agreement. It did not feel like a firing. It did not necessarily feel like a resignation. It felt like, Don, we're kind of at the end. Yeah, That's okay, Kim. I'm tired too. Yeah. No, it's, it was like one of those just truly amicable breakups you know where you both just kind of knew the writing was on the wall uh you're gonna finish it out here and and go out on good terms and nobody has any bad you know bad feelings and everybody kind of knew that it was the the right the right thing to do for both parties um like don mattingly is is one of the nicest guys and one of the most genuine people you're going to meet in, in major league baseball and uh having the the just pleasure to have met him i mean i was i can't tell you how nervous i was yeah. uh, 19 years old the first time i was credentialed with with fish stripes you know covering the, the game at marlins park at the time and it, so so nervous i'm in the dugout i'm worried if like i'm even supposed to be standing where i'm standing you know am i in the right spot are these other media guys annoyed by my press? like so many things are going through my head as a 19 year old with imposter syndrome at that ballpark and don mattingly saw it he just saw it and, and probably read it on my face and before the presser, because you, you sit down in the dugout, for those who might not know how it works, I know you know how, how it works, Jack, but you sit down in the dugout, coach usually sits there, the manager usually sits there, and they answer all the questions from the media scrum. Generally, the scrum's smaller for the Marlins, so that almost made me more nervous yeah. uh, because I'm like, he's looking straight at me. You can't like, hide. Gotta, yeah, and so before it even starts, he walks up to me and said, I haven't seen you around here before. You know, I'm Don, shakes my hand. And like, I can't tell you what that meant for me because it just it just took – the edge totally off. And, uh, and then not to get too long on you here, but 
I end up asking him a question and I wouldn't have asked one. I would have sat there silent and just listened to all the other questions and tweeted. And I felt comfortable. So I asked him a question. Their closer that night, I don't know if it was Kyle Bearclaw at the time or who it was, had gone 30, 35 pitches. I said, you know, if Bearclaw's not available tonight, who do you think you're going to go to in the ninth? And he said, he looks at me and just goes, someone else with a straight face. And I'm like, freaking out. You know, this feels like a 20-second pause for me. It's silent for maybe actually three, four seconds. And I'm like, oh, my God, did I ask a bad question? And then he smiles at me. The whole media scrum laughs. And he goes, no, I'm messing with you guys. And then he gives me a full answer of, of what he actually plans to do. And then after the presser was like, you know, I had to give you a hard time. I'm like, welcome. You know, and, and it was just like, that will always sit with me. Uh, and, and I think that's just like a little bit of an example of how good of a guy Don Mattingly is. Unfortunately, it's a business. And unfortunately, being a good guy doesn't necessarily mean you're great at your job. Um, and Don was dealt a tough hand, a very difficult hand. At the same time, there was a lot of management. I think that you know, management decisions that I disagreed with. There were times where I think as he started to get frustrated as the season went on, we saw him more vocal about the front office's influence. He's like, oh, that's the front office. He never said that before. And I think it's because he knew he was on his way out. I don't care anymore. That's the front office's decision. That comes from the top. I don't want to get yelled at from the top. That was a theme we hadn't seen much before, but also a lot of, you know, just confusing decisions, a lot of weird lineup decisions, and more importantly, clubhouse issues this year. And I think Don tried his best, I'm not saying there is a fault, but anytime you have some clubhouse issues from within, you got to look at the manager because that's the one thing he's supposed to excel at as that player's coach. Yeah, I I don't want to blame Don for much, to be totally honest here, because obviously lineup construction can be better. Lineup construction can be better with absolutely every team ever. You look at you know what, what goes on in pretty much every clubhouse here, and, and you've got people replying to the tweet of the Athletic Beat reporter here saying, this lineup sucks. Do something about it. Yeah, of course. Every lineup sucks. Of course. I'm not too worried about that. Bullpen management could obviously be better here. He was never given a talented offense. No, of course not. Ever. Course not. He was given a talented starting rotation, and he's got a Cy Young winner on his hands this year. You know, no, he, I, he does. You, you can't win games without offense. He was not given the players to succeed. So I, I think it would be unfair to Don Mattingly to judge his Marlins tenure on success of the team. Because when you're dealt a shit hand, there's only so much liquid you can wring out of the towel. No, Obviously, you hope for more. No, I absolutely agree with that. And that's, that's something I've always tried to be vocal about. At the same time, while acknowledging that, yes, the team should move a separate direction. But this is not because Don Mattingly is, is the culprit for the struggles. Look, I don't know if he's the right guy. I think they just need a change because he's been here for seven years through a lot of struggles. We talk about how this year was somewhat the breaking point in a lot of ways. I think they need a clean house top to bottom because what, what is in place right now with the Marlins hitting directors, with the entire Marlins organization starting at the big league level and going all the way down, they've got three hitting coaches and nobody can hit. Right. I mean, they've got three different guys with their hand in the pot when it comes to hitting coaches with Duncan, with, uh, you know, you have uh, Rousen and then I'm missing one other. I mean, like they've got a lot of guys just involved in here. I think it's just one of those times where you just got a clean house. And yes, Don doesn't get a fair shake totally here. But at the same time, you know, I think a lot of Marlins fans who watch day in and day out could probably tell you that they need a different voice 
They need somebody else with different ideologies at this point as this team tries to move forward. And, you know, I think that's that's the way they're best served as they continue to try to turn this thing around. Because I would say this is the single most disappointing year in Marlins franchise history, given what their expectations were, where they're trying to go, where they're at in their rebuild, where the farm system is now at. And I'm very interested to see what they try and do moving forward. Uh, but this was a necessary move. And I do wish Don all the best because he is a phenomenal person. Real quick, before we move on to 2023, can we give him a round of applause for not going insane? Yes. As I thought he was going Lions. to. I, yeah, I'm giving him a I mean, I really thought he was going to. A couple of the games that I covered this year, when they lose, and he's just, even when they win, honestly, he's just sitting there, and I'm like, this guy looks like he is being held hostage. Yeah. Like, just fully held hostage. And I don't blame him. It, 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 I just can't imagine. What kind of voice do they need here? Because obviously one of the first things you, you want to do is identify the right person to be the leader in that clubhouse, be the be the guy that is paid to genuinely be the leader, be the manager of the team, manage a, a clubhouse that did not gel this year yeah. at all. What does that guy look like? I Young. They're going to go, I think they're going to go Kevin Cash-esque. I really do. They want to be the race so bad. I mean, they really do. Um, I think they go young, analytical, and they want that influence from the top. I don't Hitting don't guy or go. pitching guy? That's a great question. I would assume they go hitting guy. Here's the big thing. Mel Stoudemire Jr., his contract's up after this year. If they don't, and that's the Marlins pitching coach, for those yeah. who may not know. What that guy's done with so, and I don't want to give them all the credit. I mean, a lot of these guys have worked really hard. We know Jesus Lazardo is a grinder and a talented dude, but there's a common denominator here, and it's Mel Stoudemire Jr. with all of these arms that have just taken another leap. Give that dude the super max contract. But with that said, I think they go with just a more balanced guy. I would love a a catcher, or you know, the, the classic former catcher manager that that just seems to do really well, but. I don't see them going like the the route of a fired older manager or something like that. I think they go younger analytic guy. It might not even be a hitting or pitching guy. It might be somebody that's kind of neither. That's more just of a analytics young, just kind of fits what they're trying to build there, what they think they are. Can I pitch you on something? Yeah. Old people move to Florida typically, right? Correct. Tony Larusa is old. Get the- Get the hell out of here. If I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. I will actually not speak oh, like an utter of the Marlins next year if if, if that's who their manager is. We'll <laughs> not won't say be. a word about that fucking team. <laughs> not a word. Ever again. Ever oh, again. God. I, you, want, you want a fan base that actually went insane? <laughs> Let's talk about the Chicago White Sox here. But um, just tying a bow on the Miami Marlins. I, I agree with you. I, I think young guy is good. I think hitting guy is good, but keep Mel around because it's obvious Please. that Mel has the respect of half the clubhouse. Yeah. I think the whole clubhouse, I think the hitters yeah. respect the hell out of him, man. <laughs> like they are seeing what's happening on the mound. They're like, wow. And also he, he's also a great guy. Last thing I'll say on it though, is it doesn't matter who the hell the manager is until you have a center fielder, until you have a legitimate catcher, <laughs> until you have, a third baseman until you have corner out a whole team. I could list every position until you have an actual good team it, or not even good serviceable team. It doesn't matter. And this team stinks offensively specifically. 
and it doesn't, it will not freaking matter who the manager is. So I'm more focused on how they satisfy the outfield, how they satisfy all the, these other holes, whoever the manager is come opening day, that comes secondary for me, because at this point, like we talked about with Don, it, it, he had no shot. So whoever else is coming in at this current juncture has no shot unless this team looks a lot different offensively come next season. hundred um, percent. Let, let's jump to the AL central here because it is wrapped up. Good to go. Cleveland won nine of their last 10. They've won seven in a row. They're 86 and 67. This team's a juggernaut. The White Sox have lost six in a row to tie the bow on Cleveland winning the division. Let's talk White Sox for a minute. Then we'll jump to the Guardians here. This was such a limp to the finish line. I mean, it it went from walk to limp to crawl, and there was no effort to even run. I mean, dude, this team needs to be overhauled too, in a different way. You know, I, I think you got to fire Larusa, obviously, and, uh, and they will. Like, it'll be a mutual decision to part ways. Cool. Yeah, and, and I know he's. It's not mutual. I, I'm sure he would stick it out as long as he could. Yeah, but this team lacks, I think, a lot of of passion in ways. It lacks cohesiveness. There's this just needs to be a different roster different people <laughs> and we can talk about the, the team's actual deficiencies on a baseball field but i think it just needs to be refreshed in a lot of ways i think you you keep jose abreu you obviously have tim anderson for the foreseeable future but i think you got to take a long hard look at yoan mancada somebody who you had solidified as one of your core pieces moving forward and realize how much you lost at that position this year you got to take a hard look at what you're doing with andrew vaughn in the outfield who was statistically the worst outfielder in baseball, I think, by a lot of metrics, and, and figure out what the hell that situation is. You got to take a long, hard look at some of the other players that you continue to give leeway to that you know may not be a part of your future. Yasmani Grandal. Now, maybe you need to look at an upgrade at that position as well. Overall, like there's a lot of things that they need to look at, and I think a big reason why the White Sox were not good this year is that the guys that were struggling for them were let basically allowed to struggle every day. Other teams would have found other options, mixed and matched. The White Sox didn't have the ability to do that. They didn't have the assets to make trades at the deadline. They didn't have the guys to call up or the depth to move guys around. So you were stuck with the same struggling pieces every single day. And I think that's where the White Sox are at now. They've got to take a long, hard look at which spots they want to upgrade at. Obviously, you can't do it at all of them. But I think one of Grandal, they're going to give Mancata another year. I think you look at even Andrew Vaughn and where he's at, like they've got to figure out what they're going to do because there's too many deficiencies in this team. Next year, here's the money committed on the Chicago White Sox. I'm not talking arbitration. I'm not talking team control. I'm talking set in stone financials in 2023. They're giving Lance Lynn $18.5 million. I would have done that deal. I don't blame them for doing it. That's okay. It's better than Dallas Keuchel. Yes, Monty Grandal is making 18-2 with a modified no-trade clause. Yoan Moncada is making 17-8, 24.8 in 2024, and a club option at $25 million that the White Sox will say, hell no, get out of my office to in 2025. Where else? 14 committed to Liam Hendricks, a club option for 12.5 that they'll pick up on Tim Anderson, 10.3 on Eloy Jimenez, 
Uh, a player option for 10 for AJ Pollock. Huh. I have no idea if he'll do that or not. I, he's picking that thing up, I think. I think he's going to pick it up. Luis Robert at nine and a half. Joe Kelly at nine. Kendall Graveman at eight. Leori Garcia at five and a half. Kill me. And then you've got a club option at five and a half on Josh Harrison and money committed to Aaron Bummer and Jake Deacon. Who still needs to be there in that group? That's the big question. Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, obviously you keep around. Jose Abreu, he's he's off the books this year, but you're going to bring him back on a different deal. Um, he won't price you out. You pay whatever the price is to have Jose Abreu back in this clubhouse. But it's tough, man. I, I think it stops with Yohan Moncada. I think you somehow need to figure out a way to move Moncada and Yasmani Grandal. See, I, I don't think there's a way to move either of them. Maybe Mankata, but are you taking on if you're a team? Two years for about forty-two million dollars. Two years, forty-two million for Yohan Mankata. Are you doing no, that? no, absolutely not. So who's who's going to trade for him? You know, the only way you know, the only way that they're going to be able to do this is what they did going into this year, which is the way they got out from Kimbrel, which is bad contract for bad contract. And Mankata, I would hold out hope for as the defensive player that he is, the ability that he has to hit the ball hard, and he's shown us flashes. You hope that he can be better next season. He's been hurt. There's been you know, a lot of issues this year. Grandal, I, I don't know what you do there. I mean, I don't even have the numbers up in front of me, but he's been just about one of the worst hitters in baseball, right? Yes. Uh, overwhelmingly, yes. Yes, Monty Grandal this year, 93 games, 205 with a 582 yeah, OPS. Oh, okay, I got it here. I'm looking negative yeah. 0.2 f4 he's not even doing the thing where he like walks a ton and and still somehow pulls off a you know solid wrc plus at 72 so he's not defending like the way he used to anymore they dh'd him for 24 games imagine dh'ing a dude who has a 277 slugging percentage hey, that's what i'm talking about like guys that would never continue to get these opportunities on other teams that are competitors we're getting opportunities here this is someone that you're going to have to try to figure out how to unload. I don't know how you do. You might have to eat the money and just cut them for the roster spot, which is also dreadful. It, it they're they've got a lot of moves to make this off season, and I have no idea what it's going to look like there. Another one that they got to think about making, and this hurts. I know a lot of White Sox fans is Lucas Giolito. You got to take a long, hard look at what Lucas Giolito is for the Chicago White Sox. I think just accepting that he's your four or five. And, and looking for more. He's got a five ERA, man. Yeah. I feel more comfortable with Davis Martin out there than Lucas Giolito right now. I can't believe he's been that bad lately. A five. Yeah, that's that's not good. And I think a lot of his solid starts have been against like the Tigers, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've been against bad teams, which helps him. I'm pulling up his, his numbers since the All-Star break because – They've just been brutal. Post All-Star, he's got a 5.58 ERA across 12 starts. Opponents are hitting 294 against him in that stretch. No, I'm with you there. I get it. But like this is still a guy that I mean you look at the the fifth more in the low fours. Even if he's a four ERA guy, he's cheap relatively, right? I mean, that's still a solid back end of the rotation starter for you. I'm not worried about him being a detriment as much as I am all the offensive pieces we just listed. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with, with you, you though. It's I, a I concern when we're talking about a guy that was supposed to be their number two. 
or, yeah, or better. I, yeah. I'm with you. I think there's a fundamental issue in that clubhouse because yeah. for some reason, not only does this team lack professionalism, but they lack urgency. And if you are and supposed to win games, it starts at the top, obviously. Um, there is a, a sense of loyalty within the White Sox organization. Kenny Williams has gone nowhere for decades. Kenny Williams has been associated with the White Sox. Um, and, and that's a Jerry Reinsdorf prerogative. He has people stick around for a really long time. And he felt like he wronged Tony Larusa in 1979. So he got him a job in 2021. <laughs> um, it's, it's weird to be a fan of the White Sox. And uh, I, I think this stretch was as frustrating as you could possibly find here. But as we flip to Cleveland, the Guardians earned this, man. They're young. Yeah. They're exciting. They play the game in a way that is so refreshing. They're the they opposite of the White Sox. The exact opposite. They love each other. When we just had Nick Sandlin on, I mean, like, they play with passion. They took that that White Sox disrespect personally, right? You, you saw that. Uh, you could even, I mean, Nick Sandlin, that interview, again, if, if you didn't, see that or whatever go check that from a couple episodes ago talking yeah. to reliever for the guardians nick sandlin just even getting a little bit of a clue hanging out and talking to him afterwards too like you can tell that they took that personally he, he didn't explicitly say it but it was more like we were excited for this series like we looked forward to this here and that's what you want I mean, that's that's how you get the most out of your team so i mean this was a really good finish you talk about limping for the white Sox. Guardian sprinted through the finish line. Tito Francona, they love, right? That's the funny part too, is they literally are the opposite. Manager they love, who they're playing for, who they are trying to, you know, just take through the postseason because we don't know how many more years he's going to manage. This might be his last, depending on health. And um, the team plays together so well. It's so balanced. You struggle to poke a hole in it. You got Oscar Gonzalez just now just continuing to rake. The whole team is hitting better and better. And I mean, this is a young team that's not going anywhere anytime soon. We talk about the farm system too. <laughs> this team's going to be good for a very long time, uh, which is super exciting. Who's the postseason hero on this team? Because they just got to the American League Division Series. I Obviously, your eyes go to Stephen Kwan. Your eyes want to go to Jose Ramirez. But Oscar Gonzalez seems like that prime candidate that nobody knows around baseball that as soon as they get on national television – as soon as more eyeballs get into the ALDS, people are going to say, wow, Oscar Gonzalez hits the shit out of the ball. This guy's really fun. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the Jose, the, the, that's the amazing thing is this team has not been that, or excuse me, this team has been good. Jose Ramirez has not been that good in yeah. the second half for his, you know, relative to his expectations. And yeah. You go the last 29 games for him, sub 700 OPS. Like this guy's the heartbeat of the team, but they've been good without him really performing, I think Josh Naylor, that yeah. guy's got a knack for the big moments. We've seen it. He's a psychopath <laughs> with the walk-off, just how intense he is. That guy is not afraid of the big moments. He is a great hitter. He continues to blossom before our eyes. He's healthy. He looks good overall. That's somebody that I think could step up. But because baseball is so fucking weird, it's going to be Austin Hedges with the big-time clutch hit. Um, and and that's why I love this sport. But no, that that's my pick. But also, dude, Jimenez, he has been the most consistent player on this ball club and has been a big reason why they are where they are. You look at the F war. He's the war leader. He, he he has literally been their most 
I think they're most valuable player this season, really, yep. which is crazy to say because that's not disrespect to J-Ram. That's just a shout-out to Andre Jimenez, who's doing it all offensively, on the bases, in the field. I Just just the tone setter of this ball club. And then the pitching is, is just ridiculous from the rotation to the bullpen. I love this team, and I'm very excited uh, to see them you know, in the postseason and see how they stack up. Now, how do you think they go about the rotation in the postseason? Obviously, you have a front three of, of Bieber, McKenzie, Cal Quantrill. Four, your option is, as it stands right now, Aaron Savali with a 5-3 ERA, which I say, hell no. You could go to a guy like a young you know, Cody Morris, who has looked really good through five starts, but granted, do you want to throw him into the fire like that? My thought is, you've got one of the best bullpens in baseball. Bullpen it. You could, but do you want to tax your biggest strength? That's a good question. And I, again, I, I it's a cop-out. But if you have the first two, three games of the series, where let's say Shane Bieber gives you eight, and, and then you have another really quality outing from McKenzie, and your bullpen only throws three, four innings through those first two games, then you feel great about the game four bullpen games you actually have to get some of those guys some action you don't want them not throwing for a full week so i I would let i would kind of let things let the vibe of the series let the way things go dictate it uh but let's assume that the bullpen is used a fair amount through the first three games i'm not afraid of of maybe giving cody morris a shot on a short leash because even if he does not work you know if he runs into some trouble in inning three then you can still call it a bullpen game but at least you're giving yourself a shot at five innings. Whereas if you start with Eli Morgan, I know he was formerly a starter. Mm-hmm. You're not stretching it. You're not even getting a shot at five innings from an Eli Morgan. So I'd go short leash bullpen backup plan. Um, and, and I really think that's the new way for a lot of these teams that have the bullpen that have the rotation to approach that game four. And that's the thing is that Cleveland can play chess here and they can mix and match and they can have a lot of fun with their pitching. Yes, they can. Do you think there's any way that they, do turn to a guy like Connor Pilkington or an Xavier Curry at any point, or do you think it's Morris or the bullpen? That's a great question. I think, I I think Tito, I I would actually question Tito if he went to Savali game four. I wouldn't want Savali. I I would, you know, Curry looks good. I don't know if I've seen enough to have that kind of confidence. I can't, I can't trust him because he's not a, he's not a strikeout guy. We know strikeout guys thrive in the postseason. That's not Xavier Curry. No, I, I agree. I, I think you go with with the plan of like Morris and Pilkington, maybe even piggybacking off of each other. You got the righty lefty. Uh, but I mean, you look at what Pilkington's done yeah, as of late. You look at what they've gotten from Morris as well, as you said, through those five starts. I think that's something I have more confidence with at this point. And I'd way rather have those guys go in than Savali. I'll tell you that. What's crazy is if Daniel Espino never gets hurt this year, we could have been talking about him as an option here. Uh, oh. One of the best pitching prospects in baseball, knee injury. At least it's not his arm pretty much done he hasn't pitched the entire season for the most part after looking insane through his first four starts that's somebody that will be in the rotation next year and uh look out for that guy and, and there are others that we could honestly still be talking about uh, whether it be um 
dude, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be Gavin Williams who, who finished the year in double, but but a guy like Logan Allen, right, who was, who was sticking around for a little bit. How about uh, a Peyton Battenfield, who was really good in AAA this year? You know, they, they've honest. got pitching depth. This is yeah. just the start for Cleveland, yeah. which is... They're going to be good for a long time. And they're going to trade Puisak. I think they're going to trade some of these other guys because they have so much depth in that even if they get Even if they get nothing for Zach Puisak, mm-hmm. it's good to just yeah. get that guy out of the rotation and get starts to other people. Anything else we got to hit? Uh, yeah, actually, one more thing is is the Rays are planning to activate Tyler Glass now on yep. Wednesday. Yeah, And, I mean, the Rays have been the most banged up team, I think, in baseball at this point, right? We, we were assuming that Boz was, was not coming back this year, but now out for all of 2023, which just plainly sucks. I mean, just super upsetting. You know, we knew this was a lost year for him, but now kind of officially having to get the Tommy John out for all of next year. Great to get Glass now back, but no Brandon Lau this year. So this is a just a, a wonderful, just glimmer of positivity for this race team to be able to get Glass now back. Before I, I kick it to you on your thoughts of what this means and what they could use him as, a little bit on just how he looked in those rehab outings. We saw him pitch in, I think, four different rehab assignments, if I'm not mistaken. or Yeah, it was four different rehab assignments. He went one inning, then one and a third, then two innings then two innings and two thirds, mostly focused on the, on the pitch count limit there. And then that last outing looked all the way back two and two thirds against Norfolk. One of the best triple a lineups, really good lineup. That's triple a for the Orioles. Yeah. Two and two thirds, no runs, no hits, one walk, six K's. And you look at the stuff in that outing. He was sitting 98 with his fastball, his slider sat 91 and he mixed in that curveball as well. Stuff's all the way back. Uh, He's in good shape. He's going to be a good piece for them, whether it's a multi-inning reliever or they think they can stretch him out at least to, to three, four innings before the postseason. Whatever it is, huge boost for them. There's few pitching ninja gifts I like watching more than a Tyler Glass now curveball because of how long he is, how close he releases it to the plate, so and it, the, the amount of bite that that thing induces is just stupid. It's um, I Listen, man, they're going to find themselves in a wild card series uh, I thought this was really interesting from Jim Passon, not Jeff entering play on Sunday, Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle all had a plus 68 run differential. That's as evenly matched as you could possibly find it in a wild card series. And Tampa needs the edge. The edge comes on the mound. It's going to come from McClanahan. It's going to come from Springs and it's going to come from Tyler glass. Now. So weird. <laughs> so weird. Uh, Are they going to hit enough? That's the question. I'm looking forward to finding out. I look forward to finding out. This is going to be a fun, you know, last full week of the regular season. And uh, Peter and I will be back to talk to you tomorrow. 8.59. We're stopping the recording. Aram's going to go watch House of the Dragon. I'm so excited.